Welcome to The Dyad Presents, a video game music podcast. I'm The Dyad, and this is Kirby 64.
We've got sort of a jam-packed show today, so let's get right into it. Kirby 64 The Crystal Shards is a platform game developed by HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo for the Nintendo 64. It's the sequel to 1997's Super Nintendo release, Kirby's Dream Land 3. This is the only true Kirby game to appear on the N64. The track bringing us in is called Shiver Star and was followed by an unused track called Music 002. The game uses a 2.5D perspective but keeps the rest of the basics in Kirby's kit. You can inhale enemies, steal their powers, and actually, this is the only Kirby game that lets you combine powers. The game stars, of course, Kirby, the lovable pink puffball. Also of note, my personal favorite, King Dedede, is playable in certain stages of the game. The game was generally well-reviewed, with a Metacritic score of 77 out of 100. That being said, the internet doesn't seem to have a lot to say about this game. Usually when I'm deciding what to talk about when I play a track from a game, I'll do a cursory Google search to see if anything interesting pops up. For Kirby 64, there's barely even a Wikipedia entry. There are a number of unused tracks in the game as well, including one of the tracks I played at the start of the show. A remix of the first Animal Friends theme in Kirby's Dreamland 3, it can be accessed as Music 002 on the soundcheck, available after beating the game. As a personal anecdote, I really adore the Kirby franchise. The music and visuals are whimsical and happy, and I have great memories playing Kirby Superstar with my younger brothers on the Super Nintendo. It's good stuff. Don't let your Sega attitude interfere with giving these games a try if you haven't played them before. Next up, we're going to have a little triple threat match. That's right, three straight tracks from pro wrestling games. First, from Muscle Bomber, The Body Explosion, aka Saturday Night Slam Masters. I'll be playing a selection from the arcade version. Composed by Masaki Izutani and Toshio Kajino, the track is called Sydney. I'm not sure which version of the title I like better. The subtitle, The Body Explosion, must be in the top 10 best of all time. Then, from Hammerlock Wrestling slash Tenryo Genichiro, no Pro Wrestling Revolution. From the Super Nintendo, the track Ace Wakata's theme. I wasn't able to find a composer for this game. And finally, from the game Natsume Championship Wrestling, also from the SNES, composed by Iku Mizutani, Kinuyo Yamashita, Hiroyuki Iwatsuki, the player select theme.
Saturn Night Slam Masters is a 1993 game released by Capcom using the CP System arcade board. The character design for the game was done by Tetsuo Hara, most notable for his work on the manga Fist of the North Star. Also, originally one of the main characters from Final Fight, Mike Hager appears in the game. Canonically, the game takes place before he's elected mayor in Final Fight, but the English version refers to Hagar as the former mayor of Metro City. The rest of the characters have hilarious names in both the English and Japanese versions. For example, the main protagonist in the American version is known as Biff Slamkovich. As for Hammerlock Wrestling, it actually doesn't use the background music in the American version like the Japanese version does. It does still have the player themes. I've read a couple theories on why they might be absent. One was suggested that they had some royalties that they didn't want to pay and it was a way of cutting costs. And also, it's more in line with the popular American wrestling games at the time that didn't have background music playing during the matches themselves. Hammerlock makes use of a common Japanese unlicensed wrestling game tactic to avoid intellectual property infringement. It creates wrestlers to act as analogs to famous wrestlers, but strips them of anything too distinguishing that might draw the eye of the rightful owner. For example, the wrestler Ace Wakata, whose theme I played, is actually Jumbo Tsuruta, a professional Japanese wrestler. Also on the roster are several American favorites that have wrestled in Japan at one time or another, including the most famous American wrestler of all time, Hulk Hogan. Or should I say, Stan Warhammer. The Hulkster has generated a huge number of video game characters, either as a facsimile or merely inspired by. Because it's one of the easiest things to discard while retaining the feel of the wrestler, the fake Hulk's names are often pretty amusing. A few of my favorite examples are Stan Warhammer, Titan Morgan, Axe Duggan, Muscle Power, Giant Panther, and Bass Armstrong, who by the way was played by fellow wrestler Kevin Nash in the movie DOA, Dead or Alive. Or is it Bass Armstrong? I'm actually not sure, it's been a really long time since I played Dead or Alive. Jumping back to Hammerlock, the most unique feature of the game is its bizarre trisecting of the gameplay window. The middle sections reserved for the in-ring action and the top and bottom sections show beautifully illustrated sprites that are acting out the matches you play. Basically, the top and bottom sections correspond to the different players, so you get in essence a more detailed version of your match. To me, it's an unimaginable headache just to follow along. Last, Atsume Championship Wrestling is a conversion of Zen Nippon Pro Wrestling Dash, Seikai Saikyo Tag. Another game that relies on non-trademarked surrogates for famous wrestlers, the game was altered to have a roster that resembles wrestlers from the US when it was ported. Possibly due to the Hydrox wrestlers, the game didn't get a sequel in the US, but the Japanese version has four different entries in this franchise. Well, I gotta say, playing wrestling music is really giving me a lot of jump-off points for discussion here. I honestly love classic wrestling, I'd say my sweet spot was from 1988 to 1993, and as an adult, I'm actually still kind of fascinated with the behind-the-scenes and historical aspects of that same era. There's a pretty comprehensive video podcast called the OSW Review, OSW meaning Old School Wrestling, 
Originally, they covered every pay-per-view in the Hulkamania era. Included in the show was trivia and information, and I'll put a link in the show notes just in case anyone is interested. Reliving your childhood, one suplex at a time. I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about a famous Japanese wrestler. The quote-unquote Japanese Hulk Hogan, Riki Dozan. Born Mitsuhiro Momota, Riki Dozan was a Korean-born Japanese professional wrestler known as the father of Puro Resu, which is pro-wrestling in Japanese. Recognized as one of the most influential men in professional wrestling history, he initially moved from Korea to Japan to become a sumo wrestler. He was eventually credited with bringing the sport of professional wrestling to Japan and enjoyed fame and popularity until he was murdered by a member of the Yakuza in 1963. Yeah, this guy has a really interesting biography. If I corner you at a party, there's like a 1 in 10 chance I'll tell you about Riki Dozan. Riki Dozan gained worldwide renown when he defeated one of the most famous professional wrestlers of all time, Lou Thez, for the NWA International Heavyweight Championship on August 27, 1958. To add to his fame, the match was held in Japan. Riki Dozan trained a number of future wrestling legends, including a couple which appear in the aforementioned games, specifically Antonio Inoki, Oki Kintaro, and Giant Baba. Due to his success in wrestling, Riki Dozan started buying up properties including hotels and nightclubs. It's also worth mentioning that the Yakuza, essentially the Japanese Mafia, have historically had significant ties to professional wrestling and nightclubs. Oh, and another side note, remind me the next time I play a wrestling track to talk about Dino Bravo and the Montreal Mafia. See, wrestling history stuff? It's not so bad. Anyway, on December 8, 1963, while partying in a Tokyo nightclub, Riki Dozan was stabbed with a urine-soaked blade by a man who belonged to the Ninkyo Dantai Sumiyoshi Ika, which, from what I read, is the Yakuza. Reportedly, Riki Dozan threw the guy out of the club but continued to party, refusing to seek medical help. Well, he died a week later of peritonitis, so maybe he should have saw that doctor. It's rumored that his murder was in retaliation for Rikidozan's in-ring acts in a bout with Masahiko Kimura. It's said that he ignored a pre-match arrangement and attacked Kimura above and beyond the choreographed match. Well, that was a lot of wrestling talk. I think it's time to move on. Next, from an unknown composer from the game City Hunter for the PC Engine, this is Escape from Hell.
game City Hunter is based on a Japanese manga series of the same name, written and illustrated by Tsukasa Hojo. The main character is Ryo Saeba, a sweeper or bodyguard for hire. He's handsome, talented, and the finest shot in Shinjuku. He's also a lecher who only accepts beautiful female clients and is constantly trying to get a peek at their bodies. So that's a little gross. The manga was adapted into an anime TV series by Sunrise Studios in 1987. It was also adapted into four animated TV series, three TV specials, two original video animations, an animated feature film, and a live action film starring Jackie Chan. Oh man, I love Jackie Chan. And because why not, I'm actually going to include a link to a short documentary on the blog. It's about 10 minutes long and it's called Every Frame a Painting. It's an episodic look at different filmmakers, and this particular episode discusses Jackie Chan's blending of action and comedy. It does a great job of pointing out his technical precision and the amount of planning that goes into his movies. The game is an action adventure platformer that looks a little similar in playstyle to elevator action. Well, absent the iconic elevators anyway. I watched a few clips from the game in which the hero is walking down long stretches of warehouse without seeing a single enemy. They actually seemed a little boring to me. While I'm not familiar with the manga, it does appear to be faithful to Ryo's character design. And if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna go check out that Jackie Chan movie. But first, my first selection from the biggest Japanese RPG franchise of all time, Dragon Quest. This track comes from the NES slash Famicom game Dragon Quest III. Composed by Koichi Sugiyama, this is Ramiya's Flight.
North America, the Dragon Quest franchise is known as Dragon Warrior. Stateside, the game is emblematic of the struggles classic JRPGs face when trying to get a foothold in the American market. In Japan, though, Dragon Quest III sold over 1 million copies on the first day it was released, and according to Compute Magazine, there were almost 300 arrests for truancy among students absent from school to purchase the game. The game eventually went on to sell 3.8 million copies total in Japan. The wave of truancy contributed to the apocryphal myth that the release of Dragon Quest III caused a law to be passed in Japan. It's said that the law banned the sale of Dragon Quest games or other video games in general, except on certain days such as weekends or national holidays. However, no such law was ever passed. Japanese release of every subsequent Dragon Quest title did continue to be on a Saturday, but that stopped with the release of Dragon Quest X, which was released on a Thursday in 2012. I don't think a lot of US gamers understand the cultural impact of the Drakway series, and I'm including myself in that group. While I grew up loving the classic SNES RPGs, that did make me the odd man out. The first Dragon Quest game was published in 1986, and the Japanese fans have been clamoring for more ever since. As for the song itself, I think it has a beauty in its simplicity. It feels like there's a lot of emotion in it despite the relatively primitive NES hardware. Either way, it really resonates with me for some reason. My last track today is the first I'll have played from the PlayStation on the show. It comes from a game that is often credited with bringing RPGs to a wide Western audience. It's from the game Final Fantasy VII. Honestly, I don't want to give short shrift to the Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy series. I'll be talking about them both in more detail the next time I play a track from either of them. I think the format of the show lends itself to short pieces of information, and I'm looking forward to dropping in more as I play more tracks from those franchises. Anyway, this is shaping up to potentially be the longest show I've ever recorded. I'm going to stop blabbing. But before I go... As always, special thanks to Ellen Euler, a.k.a. Periodical, for mixing and editing the show. You can follow the show at thediadpresents.blogspot.com, and you can subscribe via your favorite podcatcher. And don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter, at The Diet, and you can email me at thediadpresents at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page which you can find by searching for the name of the podcast, or by at the Diet. As of right now, the number of Yahoo boys to actual people is starting to tip in favor of the Yahoo boys, so maybe come check it out. I suppose it's possible you're a Yahoo boy and you actually are listening to the show, in which case, glad to have you. Thanks for giving me a listen. Until next time, composed by Nobuo Uematsu, from the game Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation, this is Crazy Motorcycle Chase. (laughs) 